no one knows the motives behind the Zodiac's shocking crimes or what may have inspired him to murder innocent human beings. Most serial killers operate in the shadows and try to avoid detection. They usually make no effort to draw attention to their crimes and often select vulnerable victims who may not be missed. Most serial killers avoid any and all contact with law enforcement and do not provide any evidence linking themselves to their crimes. A killer is best served in a scenario in which police do not know or believe that the serial killer even exists. And when they do suspect that various crimes are somehow connected, the killer does not usually confirm those theories. The Zodiac shattered the mold of the average serial killer. He appeared to select victims who were available at locations such as lover's lane spots, recreation areas, and even a residential neighborhood. He called police to report his attacks and sent handwritten letters providing details about his crimes. He even mailed bloodstained pieces of a victim's shirt to prove his connection to the murder. The Zodiac bragged about his horrific crimes and enjoyed the publicity generated by his threats to kill again. The Zodiac was not the first killer to call police, send letters to newspapers, and offer cryptic clues to his identity. Throughout modern history, murderers have been writing about their crimes and some have even chosen their own names to haunt the public long after they vanished without a trace. Similar villains often appeared in popular detective stories in books, film, and television, and some of these fictional characters may have inspired real-life killers. Unlike most serial killers, the Zodiac chose his own name and symbol and his crimes often reflected elements of other crime stories. No one knows what may have inspired the killer, but his story contains some clues which offer a glimpse into the mind of the Zodiac. This is the Zodiac speaking. I like killing people because it is so much fun. Man is the most dangerous animal of all. Here on my island, I hunt the most dangerous game. This is Zoltan speaking. A message for you. Dr. Zodiac, not ordinary criminal. Criminal egotists find pleasure in laughing at police. This symbolizes the center of the universe, and this is called the sign of the Zodiac. This is Zodiac A to Z. Decades after the Zodiac vanished, the debate continues in the search for answers about the possible inspirations for his crimes. According to popular theories, the Zodiac may have been inspired by the villains in books, films, and television shows, and certain elements of his crimes may have been inspired by real-life killers. In July 1969, 
Three virtually identical handwritten letters were sent to the offices of three Bay Area newspapers. The writer referred to himself as the murderer and claimed he was responsible for killing three victims in two attacks. These letters were signed with a symbol, a crossed circle. Days later, the writer sent another letter, which began with the phrase, This is the Zodiac speaking. The killer's chosen name and symbol became legends of true crime terror. Possible influences for the Zodiac's name and symbol could be found in popular culture. The Ford Motor Company released the Zephyr Zodiac in 1962, which featured the name Zodiac on the hood, along with a slightly squared crossed circle. This and other Zodiac models featuring the name and symbol drew on the astrological origins of the pairing. The Zodiac wristwatch was introduced by the Zodiac Watch Company in Switzerland. Founded in 1882, the Zodiac brand name was used for many years until the company registered the trademark in 1908. In its early years, Zodiac manufactured only pocket watches, but later included wrist models with innovative and practical improvements. Zodiac was the first company to manufacture and distribute a quality diver's watch for the general public. Issued in 1953, the Seawolf, like most Zodiac products, featured the name and the crossed circle symbol, the trademark of the company. Several years later, Zodiac issued a new Seawolf, and in 1960, introduced the Aerospace Seawolf, that featured a hand for Greenwich Mean Time, followed in 1962 by Seawolf Aerospace Jet, with a hand that circled once every 24 hours. In 1968, the Dynatron watch was the first Swiss electronic model. The 1969 Astrographic came with mystery hands that appeared to float over the watch face. These were also included on the 1970 model, Olympus. The Zodiac Company offered 500 different styles of watches and served customers in at least 81 countries. The first and most common pairing of the name Zodiac and the crossed circle symbol originated in astrology and dated back centuries. In astrology, the name and symbol are used together, and this is the only use of the pairing in which the two are linked by a common meaning. The name Zodiac is derived from the Greek word zodiakos, which translated means a circle of animals. The American Heritage Dictionary offers the following definitions. Zodiac. Now, a band of the celestial sphere, extending about 8 degrees to either side of the ecliptic, the sun's path, that represents the path of the principal planets, the moon and the sun. In astrology, this band is divided into 12 equal parts called signs, each 30 degrees wide bearing the name of the constellation for which it was originally named. The second definition is listed as a diagram or figure representing the zodiac. The 1991 English translation of J.E. Surlott's 1971 book, A Dictionary of Symbols, states that the word zodiac is derived from the words zo, meaning life, and diakos, meaning wheel. 
The astrological zodiac has existed for centuries. According to some estimates, the first zodiac appeared sometime during the 7th century BC, when Babylonian astronomers first discerned the rotation of the planets and constellations along the zodiac circle, the path of the sun, known as the ecliptic. The first known zodiac in circular form was discovered in Egypt at the ancient site named for She of the Divine Pillar. This ancient illustration dated as far back as 50 BC and contained what would become the fixed elements of the astrological zodiac, the circle, and the cross. In astrology, the crossed circle symbol is used to represent the zodiac and is therefore called a zodiac. Astrologers use this symbol in all aspects of astrology, and in order to create a natal chart or read a horoscope, one must begin by drawing a crossed circle, or a zodiac. The zodiac also used several astrological symbols in his ciphers. The name zodiac did not appear in the first letters mailed by the notorious killer. In his first three letters of July 1969, the author referred to himself only as the murderer. However, he did draw a crossed circle at the end of each letter. By signing the letters only with a crossed circle, the author had, in fact, used the symbol that literally meant the Zodiac. Some skeptics have argued that the name Zodiac does not usually appear with the crossed circle symbol in astrology. However, the name and the symbol are synonymous and have the same meaning. In astrology, the name zodiac rarely appears with the crossed circle symbol because a crossed circle symbol represents the name zodiac. The zodiac never used the name and symbol together. In fact, in his first letters, the killer did not use the name zodiac at all. Instead, the killer signed these messages with a crossed circle symbol proving that the name and symbol were interchangeable and had the same meaning to him as well. Some skeptics also argue that they have not seen the crossed circle symbol used to represent the astrological zodiac. However, the crossed circle symbol has been used in this fashion for centuries. The 1969 edition of the book Astrology Answers Your Questions featured a crossed circle symbol on the cover, as did the cover of the 1997 book the only way to learn astrology. Even the San Francisco Police Department had discovered this simple connection in the first weeks of their investigation. In late 1969, San Francisco Police Captain Martin Lee told reporters that investigators had consulted astrologers regarding the Zodiac's name and symbol. We have made two or three inquiries of people in that business to gain information on what particular signs might mean. In fact, it was just a day or so ago that we learned that that little symbol of the circle with the cross in the center of it, what they told us is that this symbolizes the center of the universe, and this is called the sign of the zodiac. I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. On January 19, 1924, 
Collier's Magazine published a short story by Richard Connell titled The Most Dangerous Game, also known as The Hounds of Zarov. The alternative title referred to the villain of the story, a Russian aristocrat named Zarov, who lives on an island known as Ship Trap Island, where he hunts human beings for sport. The story begins when hunter Sanger Rainsford falls from a boat and is trapped on the island. He meets Count Zaroff, who explains that he has grown bored hunting animals and has discovered the thrill of hunting human beings, whom he describes as the most dangerous game. What I needed was not a new weapon, but a new animal. A new animal? Exactly so. You found one? Yes. Here on my island, I hunt the most dangerous game. The most dangerous game? You mean tigers? Tigers? No. My one secret. I keep it as a surprise for my guests against the rainy day of boredom. Zaroff's character also refers to the hunt as a game of outdoor chess. Rainsford is released into the jungle and hunted by Zaroff and a pack of hounds. The 1932 film adaptation featured actor Joel McRae as Rainsford and Leslie Banks as Zaroff, along with actress Faye Ray, best known for her starring role in the legendary film King Kong. This version expanded on the original story and included more characters who are stranded on the island and become potential victims of the hunt. In one scene, Rainsford discovers Zaroff's collection of hunting trophies, the severed heads of his previous prey. The short story and film became classics which inspired countless imitations and retellings in fiction, film, and television, including episodes of The Incredible Hulk, Gilligan's Island, Law and Order, Criminal Minds, and more. On the morning of November 11, 1931, a man was walking along the Mississippi River in New Orleans, Louisiana, when he noticed a body lying on the dock. The dead man was still wearing his gold-rimmed glasses, and he was dressed in a gray suit and overcoat. He had been shot once in the head. Police learned that the man had checked into a local hotel under an assumed name, but they eventually identified the victim as 20-year-old Alfred M. Lord, also known as Bud. He lived in San Diego, and his family said that he recently declared his plan to marry a woman who lived in Wichita, Kansas. 17-year-old Shirley Jones said she met Bud Lord during a visit to San Diego several months earlier, but she denied any plans to marry him. Six days before he died, Lord appeared in Wichita, Kansas, and he told Shirley that he left San Diego because he was in trouble and a man had threatened to kill him. Lord claimed that he had encountered this man again in Wichita, and therefore he decided to leave immediately police were unable to identify anyone who had threatened Bud Lord, and they suspected that he may have invented the story for some unknown reason. Police also believed that Lord killed himself 
and that he had staged the suicide to look like a murder. They eventually found the gun in the water at the crime scene. One other item remained a puzzling and mysterious clue. A note found pinned to Bud Lord's coat, which read, He accidentally knew too much, too bad. A crossed circle symbol was drawn below the cryptic explanation. Investigators also considered the possibility that the Zodiac was inspired by the film Charlie Chan at Treasure Island. The now classic entry in the Charlie Chan series of films was first released on August 31, 1939. The story takes place in San Francisco, and the events are framed around the 1939 World's Fair on Treasure Island. The famous detective, played by actor Sidney Toller, and his number one son Jimmy, investigate the death of a friend and encounter a mysterious villain named Dr. Zodiac, who sends taunting letters to the San Francisco Chronicle. Dr. Zodiac, not ordinary criminal. He is man of great ego, with disease known to science as Pseudologia Fantastica. Pathological liars and swindlers suffer from exaggerated fantasy, unleashed vanity, and great ambition which robs them of caution known to saner men. Say, I'll buy that. We might trip Zodiac to his vanity. Criminal egotists find pleasure in laughing at police. Actor Cesar Romero portrays a scheming mystic who is blackmailing his clients and is enlisted by Charlie Chan to help catch Dr. Zodiac. Three decades later, Romero would play the infamous villain, the Joker, in the popular television series, Batman. In one episode, the Joker staged an elaborate crime spree, including astrological clues. The episode was titled, The Zodiac Crimes, and aired on January 11, 1967, as the first in a three-episode story. The Joker teamed up with another villain, the Penguin, for a series of bizarre robberies, kidnappings, and more, all based on the 12 signs of the astrological zodiac. The episode began with the narrator's ominous introduction. High noon in Gotham City, on a day when the number 12 is to become an evil omen for all good citizens. The Joker steals a rare art map, which Batman and Robin believe he will use to stage his sinister plot. The Joker also sends a taunting message, which read, I've come to announce a new crime wave for Gotham City. This is the first of the Zodiac crimes. Look for 11 more, and don't forget to keep score. Previous episodes aired in December 1966 also referred to the Zodiac. In an episode titled The Duo is Slumming, Batman and Robin study the letter Z, encrypted clues from the villain known as the Puzzler. The Caped Crusader says, That's the puzzle. Z is the most enigmatic letter in the alphabet, old chum. Think of the words that begin with Z. Zigzag, zither, zodiac. The zodiac name also featured prominently in other Batman comic books. In January 1964, Issue 323 of Detective Comics 
featured Batman and Robin against a villain named the Zodiac Master, who could predict future accidents and wore a costume decorated with the 12 signs of the astrological Zodiac. In the September 1966 issue of World's Finest, Batman and Robin teamed up with Superman to fight another villain named Dr. Zodiac. Other elements of the Zodiac letters indicated that the killer may have been inspired by other comic book stories and characters. In 1970, San Francisco Chronicle reporter Paul Avery received a Halloween greeting card which appeared to be from the Zodiac. On the back of the card, the sender formed a cross with the two words, Paradise and Slaves, and added the words, By fire, by gun, by knife, by rope. The phrases were similar to wording in one issue of the popular comic book, Red Mask. Actor Tim Holt started his career in early westerns for RKO Pictures and other studios during the 1930s and 40s. He later appeared in the Orson Welles film, The Magnificent Ambersons, and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, with film legend Humphrey Bogart. Holt's acting career continued in movies and television until his final appearance in 1971. Holt's character, Red Mask, played the hero in many adventures as he saved the innocent and delivered his own brand of justice to various villains and enemies. The June-July 1952 issue featured a character known as Lady Doom. In this story, Holt is captured and bound as Lady Doom chooses his fate from a spinning death wheel, listing several methods of death, including water, fire, rope, gun, and knife. On the morning of October 31, 1966, a groundskeeper working on the campus of Riverside City College discovered the body of 18-year-old freshman Sherry Jo Bates. She had been stabbed several times and her throat had been slashed. One month after the murder, the Riverside Police Department and the local newspaper received a typed letter from someone who claimed to be the killer. The writer used a black felt-tip pen to address the envelopes in uppercase print, which read, Attention, Crime. The Confession by Blank She was young and beautiful, but now she is battered and dead. She is not the first, and she will not be the last. I lay awake nights thinking about my next victim. Miss Bates was stupid. She went to the slaughter like a lamb. She did not put up a struggle. But I did. It was a ball. I am not sick. I am insane. But that will not stop the game. Yes, I did make that call to you also. It was just a warning. Beware. I am stalking your girls now. The confession letter had been mailed to the local newspaper one month after the murder on November 29, 1966. Further investigation revealed that some of the information contained in the confession had appeared in news reports about the murder, 
but police still believe that the author was aware of facts known only to the killer. Other suspicious notes were also connected to the case. In April 1967, someone sent three handwritten notes to the Press Enterprise newspaper, the local police, and even the father of Sherry Jo Bates. Written in pencil on white notebook paper, the message read, Bates had to die. There will be more. At the bottom of two of the notes, the writer had included a small symbol which resembled the letter Z. In 1969, Riverside investigators noted similarities between the Riverside case and the Zodiac crimes, and they considered the possibility that the Zodiac may have been involved. A handwriting expert concluded that the Zodiac had written the messages linked to the Bates case, and the killer appeared to confirm this theory in a letter sent to the Los Angeles Times newspaper in March of 1971. This is the Zodiac speaking. Like I have always said, I am crack-proof. If the Blue Meanies are ever going to catch me, they had best get off their fat asses and do something. Because the longer they fiddle and fart around, the more slaves I will collect for my afterlife. I do have to give them credit for stumbling across my riverside activity, but they're only finding the easy ones. There are a hell of a lot more down there. The reason I'm writing to the Times is this. They don't bury me on the back pages like some of the others. The term Blue Meanies was often used in Britain to describe police officers and made popular by the film Yellow Submarine. Filled with wild colors, bizarre characters, and songs by the legendary band The Beatles, the animated classic also featured many crazed beings known as Blue Meanies. The name was also used to describe deputies of the Alameda County Sheriff's Department known for the turquoise blue jumpsuits they wore during confrontations with protesters at the People's Park in the spring of 1969. The trailer for the 1971 car chase film, Vanishing Point, included the phrases, They want to get him and put him away, but they'll have to catch him first. Being chased by the blue, blue meanies on wheels. The Riverside Police Department later focused on their own suspect and claimed that the Zodiac was not connected to the Bates murder. And some people believe that the Zodiac simply took credit for the crime to enhance his image as a prolific killer. The possibility existed that the Zodiac was not involved in the Bates murder, but that he was somehow inspired by this unsolved crime. On March 7, 1968, the NBC network broadcast the 24th episode of the television crime series, Ironside. Titled Perfect Crime, the episode follows police chief Robert T. Ironside, portrayed by actor Raymond Burr, to a lecture for a criminology class at Bay College. A member of the audience asks about the perfect crime, but Ironside dismisses the notion as fantasy. He then receives an anonymous note a cut-and-paste message constructed with letters clipped from newspapers, which reads, Dear Chief Ironside, you were wrong. The perfect crime is possible. I will prove it. 
Ironside warns the students, let me put it bluntly, there never has been a perfect crime, and there never will be. So don't try it, because you'll be caught no matter how brilliant you are. You won't make it, I promise you. After the class is dismissed, an unseen gunman hides with a 22 caliber rifle and watches Ironside and others through a scope where the potential targets are aligned in the crosshairs. The sniper then shoots and wounds a student. Ironside learns that before the shooting, the sniper sent identical typewritten letters addressed to the editor of the San Francisco Dispatch and another Bay Area newspaper. Ironside describes the mentality of the shooter as a mind capable of committing murder just to satisfy its ego. A brilliant, cold, calculating, not-quite-normal mind. A mind that could not resist writing to the newspapers, advertising its intent. The sniper then opens fire on Ironside's home office and wounds Officer Eve Whitfield. The bullet does not match the bullet from the first shooting, proving that a different weapon was used. One observer notes that the different weapons must indicate two shooters, but Ironside explains that the same gunman simply used a different weapon. Investigation leads Ironside to several suspects, including two members of the Bay College rifle team named Larry Wilson and Jonathan Dix. When Dix is shot and wounded, Ironside focuses on Wilson and learns that the suspect had been institutionalized as a child after accidentally shooting and killing a friend. Wilson seems like the most logical suspect, but Ironside is skeptical and believes that the sniper has staged the crimes in order to conceal his true intention, to kill Ironside. A trap is set, and the sniper takes the bait by shooting a dummy in a wheelchair. Ironside then catches Jonathan Dix as he is about to stage Wilson's suicide to end the search for the sniper. Dix has a nervous breakdown as police drag him away. The basic details of this episode are similar to aspects of the Zodiac case. A gunman armed with a 22 caliber weapon, shooting people and sending identical letters addressed to the editors of newspapers in the San Francisco Bay Area. In the episode, when the sniper is about to shoot, a crossed circle is superimposed over the victim. The Zodiac used a 22 in his first known murders on Lake Herman Road, and then he switched to a different weapon for his second crime. After the second shooting, the Zodiac sent identical letters to different Bay Area newspapers, all addressed to the editor, and his chosen symbol was the crossed circle. He often used the symbol without the name. The first letters did not include the name Zodiac, but were instead signed with the crossed circle symbol. The Ironside episode Perfect Crime aired approximately nine months before the first suspected Zodiac attack on Lake Herman Road in December 1968, and the first Zodiac letters were sent in July 1969. The timing indicates that the Zodiac may have seen the broadcast and may have been somehow influenced or inspired by some of the details in this television episode. The possibility that the Zodiac may have seen this episode could further support the theory that the killer was influenced by film and television.
one Zodiac letter described the killer's electric gun sight, a flashlight attached to the barrel of a gun in order to help target victims in darkness. The wording of the letter was somewhat similar to dialogue in an episode of the popular television series, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. In the second Zodiac letter sent in August 1969, the writer stated that he had used a gun with a light attached to the barrel for shooting at night. The letter offered details regarding the shooting on Lake Herman Road and addressed questions about the killer's ability to see the victims in the dark. Last Christmas. In that episode, the police were wondering as to how I could shoot and hit my victims in the dark. They did not openly state this, but implied this by saying it was a well-lit night and I could see the silhouettes on the horizon. Bullshit. That area is surrounded by high hills and trees. What I did was tape a small pencil flashlight to the barrel of my gun. If you notice, in the center of the beam of light, if you aim it at a wall or ceiling, you will see a black or dark spot in the center of the circle of light, about three to six inches across. When taped to a gun barrel, the bullet will strike exactly in the center of the black dot in the light. All I had to do was spray them as if it was a water hose. There was no need to use the gun sights. The Zodiac was not the first to conceive of a light attached to the barrel of a gun. Articles about a gun light had appeared in the magazine Popular Mechanics as far back as 1922. A 1961 episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, titled Museum Piece, featured a character named Ben, using a rifle with a light attached to the barrel. Actor Burt Conby portrayed Ben, who was shown with the gun as his father narrated the story of the hunt for a devious fox. She'd been raiding hen houses in the neighborhood. Sooner or later, some farmer would trap her or shoot her anyway so Ben decided to take her for his collection. He'd invented a foolproof gadget for night shooting, a spotlight mounted on his 22 in such a way that his shot would strike the exact center of light. In the episode, Ben tracks the fox to a barn. Using his gun-mounted spotlight, Ben shoots the fox, but also frightens a young couple inside the barn. Ben is attacked by the angry interrupted lover, and fires his gun by accident, killing the man instantly. Ben is tried and convicted. Ben's father later pleads with the district attorney for help, but is refused. The DA is then murdered. The father recalls the failed search for the killer and says, I remember the excitement of the manhunt, the most dangerous game. The description of the gunlight in the Hitchcock episode is similar to the wording of the Zodiac's letter in August 1969. The mention of the phrase, the most dangerous game, could also be interpreted by some as another possible connection to the Zodiac's deciphered message, which referred to man as the most dangerous animal of all. The killer's use of the phrase, this is the Zodiac speaking, led to many theories and rampant speculation regarding its possible meaning and origins. Some observers noted that the phrase was similar to the recorded message in a popular fortune-telling machine named Zoltan, the Astrological Wonder. 
The marketing campaign explained to potential buyers that astrology and zodiac motifs are the in thing. Zoltan gives you the opportunity to take full advantage of the upsurge in popularity of astrology. The name Zoltan was a combination of the words Zodiac Electronic Sultan. The Zoltan machine was six feet tall and featured a fiberglass cabinet containing a gypsy-like figure with its hands raised over a flickering crystal ball. Zoltan did not move, but his voice could be heard through the handheld receiver outside the cabinet. To operate the machine, the customer inserted 10 cents and then selected their own astrological sign from a panel depicting the 12 signs of the zodiac. Zoltan offered predictions, lucky numbers, and advice. The machine did not produce any printed cards or fortunes. Zoltan's fortunes ran on a loop from a message repeater, an 8-track tape player inside the machine which contained 14 separate messages. Zoltan's recordings lasted approximately one minute and usually began with the phrase Zoltan speaking or greetings from Zoltan. Only one message was similar to the Zodiac's greeting. This is Zoltan speaking, a message of importance for you. This seems not to be a good time for you to splurge or go overboard with a desire you have been thinking of. A bit more thought on the subject is of advantage. You have a tendency to allow your heart to rule your mind, and although this is to be commended, a bit more thought is the rule. I do see a trip in the near future which will fill you with delight. Show affection a bit more readily. Enjoy yourself and those about you. Wednesdays are favorable days presently, and also the numbers 5, 6, and 10. Dress casually for best results. Thank you. The voice of Zoltan was provided by Robert Cottle, an actor who played Captain Bob on a popular television show for children in Boston. Most reports document the first public appearance of Zoltan sometime in 1967. A new version of the machine appeared sometime in August 1969, when the Zodiac first used the bizarre greeting. The Profitron Company produced only 50 to 60 Zoltan fortune-telling machines between 1967 and 1970. The original advertisement listed several appropriate sites for the Zoltan machine, including supermarkets, transportation terminals such as bus stations and airports, arcades, department stores, theater lobbies, and tourist attractions. Zoltan the Fortune Teller reportedly inspired the fortune teller Zoltar in the popular movie Big, starring Tom Hanks. Zoltar now appears in commercials selling insurance, and the machines can be found in popular shopping and amusement areas, including Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco. One theory suggested that the Zodiac may have been inspired by a story which appeared in Detective Story magazine, a weekly crime and mystery publication. The August 27, 1921 issue featured a story by writer Edwin Baird titled Z, 
The plot revolved around a series of murders by a deranged killer who sends taunting notes in red envelopes and announces his crimes with a series of telephone calls to local newspapers. The killer calling himself Z targets the presidents of banks and identifies his next victim in each call, such as, This is Z calling. I've just killed Reeves of Second National. Z strikes again and again until reporter Waldron Shumway devises an ingenious plan and captures the killer, an angry failed investor named Ambrose Niklo Zander, who confesses that he killed to demonstrate that bankers are leeches. In 2007, the staff of the San Francisco Chronicle was preparing for the release of the movie Zodiac by sifting through the newspaper's files on the case. Editorial assistant Daniel King spotted a suspicious item, a red envelope postmarked in Eureka, California in December 1990. At the time, the card was simply added to the archive files and no one seemed to believe that the message was important. Addressed to the Chronicle in pencil and with a somewhat familiar handwriting style, the red envelope bore a 25-cent stamp depicting a Christmas tree and contained a holiday greeting card. On the front of the card, a snowman wearing a Groucho Marx nose, mustache, and glasses stands in a snowstorm as a small rabbit watches. The text of the card was reminiscent of the Zodiac's Halloween card to reporter Paul Avery 20 years earlier. The front of the card read, From your secret pal. Can't guess who I am yet? Well, look inside and you'll find out. The inside of the card read, That I'm gonna keep you guessing. Happy holidays anyway. The writer also included a photocopy of two keys on a chain attached to a small pen-like cylinder. Marked USPS for the United States Postal Service, the keys had what appeared to be identification numbers. Speculation suggested that the keys belonged to a post office box possibly containing some other clue that could provide the solution to the case, but subsequent information did not indicate any connection to the real Zodiac. The writing on the envelope was very similar to the natural printing of the Zodiac's letters, and the formation of the characters was also consistent. In some places, the writer had traced over the letters, apparently to make the characters darker and easier to see on the red paper. The tone of the card was similar to the Zodiac's twisted sense of humor, and the secret pal theme echoed the card sent to reporter Paul Avery in 1970. Subsequent lab tests on the 1990 envelope and its stamp failed to produce any usable genetic sample and was worthless for DNA comparisons. The San Francisco Chronicle consulted retired forensic document examiner Lloyd Cunningham for an expert opinion on the 1990 card. A former police officer, Cunningham helped search for the Zodiac in the Presidio Heights neighborhood on the night of October 11, 1969. He later received his training as a question documents expert at the U.S. Secret Service and was appointed the first question document expert at the San Francisco Police Department. 
Cunningham claimed that he had memorized the Zodiac's writing during his tenure as a handwriting expert for the SFPD. The expert used his memory and a digital scan of the 1990 envelope to reach his conclusion that the writing was the work of a forger. Cunningham said, The big problem you have here is, why would a person overwrite all these letters? The Zodiac never did that in any of his writings. I could never conclude that this is the writing of the Zodiac. It tends to lean the other way. I have the impression that someone tried to imitate the Zodiac's handwriting. Cunningham's conclusions drew criticisms from observers of the case, and some critics questioned or dismissed his memory method as unsound. Cunningham claimed that the Zodiac never traced over any of his own writing, but at least one handwriting expert had concluded that the Zodiac was responsible for similar overwriting on a desk, and other Zodiac messages included some indications that the writer had traced over various letters. If the card was not a forgery, then the implication was clear. The Zodiac was alive and well in 1990. In 1969, the Zodiac mailed a letter to attorney Melvin Belli, apparently in response to the attorney's television conversation with a Zodiac imposter. In 1990, someone claiming to be the real Zodiac was terrorizing citizens on the other side of the country in New York. The story was national news for weeks when several people were shot and the gunman sent strange handwritten letters using writing clearly intended to resemble the writing in the original Zodiac messages. Eyewitness descriptions of the New York killer as a black man proved that the East Coast shooter was a copycat killer, who was later captured and convicted. The real Zodiac may have watched as the imposter used his name, and he may have been compelled to write again. But if the 1990 message was the work of a forger, the card joined a long list of other hoaxes perpetrated by heartless cranks. The debate regarding the origins of the 1990 greeting card was further complicated by another strange card sent to the San Francisco Chronicle. Postmarked January 10, 2001, the white envelope was addressed to Letters to the Editor, the handwriting was notably similar to the writing on the 1990 envelope, but the printing was also different in several ways. The writer of the 1990 card spelled the word editor with the lowercase letter T, but the writer of the 2001 message used an uppercase letter T when printing the same word. The 1990 writer used a lowercase letter N when forming the words San Francisco but the 2001 writer used an uppercase letter N. The 1990 writer neatly formed the capital letter S, leaving the ends of the letter strokes open, but the 2001 writer included a longer loop at the top and the bottom strokes of the letter S. The 2001 writing was smaller than the 1990 writing, the words were closer together, and the writing was not as clear. The Zodiac handwriting was usually slanted down and to the right, but the printing on the 2001 message was slanted slightly down and to the left. The front of the 2001 greeting card featured the colorful greeting, Happy New Year. Inside, the card read, From January 1st to the end of December, 
Here's wishing you a year to enjoy and remember. A message had been written on the inside page of the card. Mr. Editor, dear sir, whoever ever you are, this just disgusting to read what seems to be a news that nobody really cares but the relatives of innocent citizens murder in our beloved SF. Some of the words were misspelled and difficult to read, but the writer apparently complained about municipal drivers of various ethnicities and asked what had happened to the, quote, white people drivers. The message ended with a threat. From now on, there will be a muni driver executed for every citizen murdered in the streets of San Francisco. On the opposite page of the card, the writer added, You thought I was dead? No way. The message may have been nothing more than a random prank, but the timing of events raised questions about the origins and purposes of the two greeting cards. The 1990 card was not released to the public until 2007, but the writing on the 2001 envelope was similar to the writing on the 1990 envelope. The similarities appeared to indicate that both messages may have been produced by the same person, because in 2001, another writer would not have known about the 1990 card, and would therefore not have access to a photograph of the envelope in order to mimic the handwriting. Both cards may have been sent by the same individual, but the available evidence could not establish any link between these messages and the Zodiac. In many ways, the Zodiac crimes were unusual. The killer wore an elaborate costume, chose a name for himself, sent taunting letters to newspapers, and called police to report his crimes. Unlike some serial killers, the Zodiac changed his methods. He shot couples sitting in parked cars at lovers' lane spots at night, and then stabbed a young couple sitting by a lake in daylight. The Zodiac appeared to randomly select victims of opportunity who were at preferred locations when the killer chose to attack, and the fact that anyone could be a potential victim made him seem more threatening than other killers who targeted a specific type of victim, such as women working as prostitutes or other people who might be considered vulnerable or unlikely to be missed. The Zodiac departed from his previous pattern of attacking young couples in isolated outdoor areas when he murdered cab driver Paul Stein in the upscale residential neighborhood of Presidio Heights in San Francisco. The change in the killer's pattern baffled investigators and terrified citizens who feared that they could be the next to die. After this shocking murder, the Zodiac threatened to attack a school bus and shoot the children as they tried to escape. Some aspects of this Zodiac crime were similar to other strange cases, an indication that he may have been inspired by other notorious and elusive killers. Peter Thomas Anthony Manuel was 29 years old when he killed his first victim in Scotland on January 2, 1956, and the death toll included at least eight victims by the time he was finally arrested in 1958. Manuel stalked and killed 
two 17-year-old girls, and he also robbed and murdered two families, including a 10-year-old boy. Investigators believe that Peter Manuel was also responsible for the murder of a cab driver in Newcastle, England. On Sunday, December 8, 1957, 36-year-old Sidney Dunn was sitting in his taxi cab parked at the Newcastle Central Station when a man climbed into the back seat and asked to be taken to the village of Edmund Byers. Hours later, a police officer found Dunn's cab parked along the road with its doors open. Dunn's body was found approximately 150 yards away from the vehicle, and an autopsy revealed that he had been killed by a bullet fired into his head by a British handgun, possibly a 32 or 38 caliber weapon. Peter Manuel confessed to all of his known crimes, but he denied any involvement in Dunn's murder. Investigators later claimed that a button found in Dunn's cab matched the button on Manuel's coat, and a cab driver identified Manuel as a man he saw getting into Dunn's cab on the day of the murder. Decades after his execution, a poem reportedly written by Peter Manuel revealed his confession, which listed the names of his victims and ended with the words, And Sidney Dunn, I slew. In 2017, historian Christy Hawthorne recognized similarities between the Zodiac crimes and another unsolved case in the city of Oceanside, located on the Pacific coast, approximately 40 miles north of San Diego, California. In January 1962, 29-year-old Ray Davis and his brother moved to Oceanside and rented a house together. Ray was soon hired as a driver for the Checker Cab Company. On the night of April 10th, Ray reported for the night shift and then drove downtown to Mission Avenue. He radioed the dispatcher at 11.10 p.m. and said he was taking a passenger to a location in the southern part of the city. Later, his cab was found parked in an alley located on the 400 block of South Pacific Street. Police discovered a bullet hole in the blood-stained driver's seat indicating that someone sitting in the back of the cab had fired a bullet through the seat and into the driver. Another bullet had been fired through the windshield. A paperback book was on the passenger seat. Written by popular mystery novelist Richard S. Prather, the book Dance with the Dead was part of a series of stories featuring private detective Shell Scott. The plot revolved around the 12 centerfolds in a men's magazine, with each woman representing one month of the calendar year. Hours later, police officer Terry Stevens walked into an alley behind 1926 South Pacific Street and found the body of Ray Davis. An autopsy revealed that Davis had been shot once in the back and once in the back of the head with a 22 caliber weapon. The killer used long rifle ammunition. No one knew the exact sequence of events, but the killer apparently left Davis' body in the alley and then drove several blocks west to the 400 block of South Pacific Street, where he parked and abandoned the cab. Money found in Davis's pockets indicated that he was not the victim of a robbery, and investigators could not identify any discernible motive for the murder. Police withheld one important piece of information from the public, a detail which was not included in news reports about the murder, but may have been the only clue to the killer's motives and identity. Five days after the body of Ray Davis was discovered, 
police revealed that the Oceanside Police Department had received a bizarre telephone call on April 9, 1962, the night before Davis was killed. The caller simply said, I am going to pull something here in Oceanside, and you will never be able to figure it out. One week later, the unidentified man called again and said, Do you remember me calling you last week and telling you that I was going to pull a real baffling crime? I killed the driver, and I am going to get me a bus driver next. The citizens of Oceanside were shocked by the murder of Ray Davis and the news that someone claiming to be the killer was calling the police department and threatening to kill again. The killer was operating in a neighborhood populated by many prominent and wealthy residents, and the taxicab was left behind the home of the mayor of Oceanside. The caller's threat to kill a bus driver prompted police and city officials to coordinate protection for drivers. Everyone was relieved when the killer did not strike again and apparently vanished without a trace. The case remained unsolved for decades, despite the efforts of investigators and the family of Ray Davis, who hoped that the killer would someday be identified and captured. The story may have faded into the margins of true crime history, but Christy Hawthorne searched through newspaper archives, gathered information, and eventually communicated with Oceanside Police to learn more about this unsolved mystery. Hawthorne was intrigued by the similarities between the Davis murder and the Zodiac's last known murder of cab driver Paul Stein in San Francisco. Davis was killed with a 22 caliber weapon, and the Zodiac claimed that he was responsible for the murder of two teenagers who were killed with a 22 caliber weapon. The person who called the Oceanside Police Department threatened to kill a bus driver, and the Zodiac sent a letter to the San Francisco Chronicle newspaper, including a threat to attack a school bus and shoot the children as they tried to escape. Other details highlighted the differences between the two killers. The first call related to the Davis case occurred before the murder, but the Zodiac only called police by telephone after his attacks. The person who killed Ray Davis dumped his body in an alley, drove his cab to another location, and then abandoned the vehicle. The available evidence indicated that the Zodiac did not transport or dump the bodies of his victims, and he did not steal or drive their vehicles. One element of the Zodiac San Francisco murder was very similar to the murder of Ray Davis. The person who killed Ray Davis left his body and cab in an upscale residential neighborhood, and the Zodiac killed cab driver Paul Stein in an upscale residential neighborhood. Both locations were unlikely settings for the seemingly motiveless murders of cab drivers, and both of the crime scenes were located in cities along the coast of California. The Zodiac may have known about the 1962 murder of Ray Davis, and he may have decided to imitate certain aspects of that case in his 1969 crimes. Other theories suggested that the Zodiac was responsible for the murder of Ray Davis, and simply repeated aspects of his own crimes in his later attacks. Oceanside Police stated that they have reviewed the fingerprint and ballistic evidence in the Davis case, but attempts to establish any link to the Zodiac could be difficult. Fingerprints in the Zodiac case may not be of sufficient quality for a positive identification or comparison with any fingerprints in the Davis case, 
and there is no other evidence which could identify the killer. Recent efforts to obtain DNA from suspected Zodiac communications may produce evidence which could identify the Zodiac, but police have stated that there is no DNA evidence in the Davis case. Thirty-nine-year-old Joseph Moisinski was married, the father of two children, and the owner of a small grocery store in the borough of Queens in New York. On the night of June 11, 1930, Joseph left the house and took the car to pick up his mistress, 19-year-old Catherine May. They traveled to the neighborhood of College Point where Joseph parked the car at a lover's lane spot at Cross Island and Willits Boulevards. The couple climbed into the back seat together as a man dressed in a dark hat and coat approached the vehicle. According to one version of the story, the man ordered Joseph to get in the front seat and start the engine. In another version, the man simply pointed a gun at Joseph's head and pulled the trigger. The stranger searched through Catherine's purse and removed some of her personal letters, which he then set on fire. According to some accounts, the stranger also sexually assaulted Catherine. He then escorted Catherine to a nearby trolley stop. He handed her a 3 by 7 note and spoke in a thick German accent as he instructed Catherine not to read the message until the following day. The stranger then walked away and Catherine returned home. Joseph's body was soon discovered, and police took Catherine into custody for further questioning. She explained what happened that night, but police did not believe her incredible story. She was held at the jail as a material witness, while investigators searched for a more plausible motive for the crime. Catherine reportedly changed her story and claimed that the killer was a gangster named Albert Lombardo but police also rejected her account and doubted that the man even existed. As bizarre as Catherine's original story may have seemed, the mysterious man was the best suspect. The cryptic note left by the stranger was a baffling clue which read 3x3-x-097. The story took a bizarre turn on June 13th, when a letter arrived at the office of a local newspaper, which began with a request. Kindly print this letter in your paper, for Moisinski's friends. The writer then included what appeared to be some kind of coded message. CC-NY-ADCM-Y-16A-DQR-PA-241-PM6 PM6. Queens. By doing this, you may save their lives. We do not want any more shooting unless we have to. The letter also included the signature, 3X. Another letter arrived the next day. This time, the writer stated the type of weapon and ammunition used in the murder, and also complained that Joseph Moisinski was, quote, a dirty rat who was only targeted because he had, quote, certain documents, but unfortunately, they were not in his possession at the time of the murder. The writer also warned that 14 of Joseph's friends would be killed if the documents were not recovered. On the night of June 16th, 
the stranger resurfaced and attacked another young couple sitting in a car parked at the intersection of 83rd Avenue and 24th Street in the Queens neighborhood of Creedmoor. 26-year-old radio mechanic Noel Sowley and his 18-year-old girlfriend, Betty Ring, were confronted by a man holding a gun. The stranger told Noel to produce his driver's license and then appeared to send some sort of signal with a flashlight. The man said, You're the one we want. You're going to get what Joe got. The stranger fired two shots into Noel's head and then searched the victim's pockets. The man handed a note to Betty and took her home. She described the killer as slender, with a thin face and sunken cheeks, who spoke in a foreign accent. In Noel's pocket, police found a newspaper clipping about the previous murder with the words, Here's How, written with a pencil in the margin. On June 17th, another letter mentioned V5 Sowley as a friend of the previous victim, Joseph Moisinski, and threatened that, quote, 13 more men and one woman will go if they do not make peace with us and stop bleeding us to death. The letter was accompanied by two spent shell casings. The messages were mailed to the New York Evening Journal newspaper, the New York Police Department, and others. Police believe that the letters were written by the same person for several reasons, including similar handwriting and the signature 3X with the inverted letter V. The investigation expanded to the state of Pennsylvania when another letter was sent to John Moisinski, the brother of the first victim. Sent to his home in Philadelphia, the letter demanded that John turn over the documents sought by the 3X killer. John was instructed to put the documents in a newspaper and then deposit the items at the Broad Street train station. The writer threatened that failure to comply with his demands would result in the deaths of John and two other victims. The case created a nightmare for investigators, and the strange letters terrified citizens who feared that the killer would strike again. Authorities devoted manpower, money, and other resources to the search for the killer, but the man who called himself 3X wrote the final chapter of his story. On June 21, 1930, just 10 days after his crime spree began, the 3X killer sent another letter to police which announced that his mission was over. The writer offered an explanation for his actions and claimed he had served in the German army before joining an international secret organization of spies known as the Red Diamond of Russia, represented by the inverted letter V in the killer's letters. The writer claimed that his victims, Moisinski and Sally, were once members of the group but became targeted for death after stealing some important documents. The 3X killer wrote, The last document, NJ 4-3-44, returned to us the 19th at 9 p.m. My mission is ended. There is no further cause for worry. The writer then warned that any subsequent messages using the 3X codename would be forgeries since he would no longer communicate. No further crimes or letters were linked to the 3X killer, and he apparently vanished without a trace. 
No one knows if the killer was telling the truth about being a member of a secret organization acting on orders to kill. He may have been nothing more than a deranged murderer who invented an elaborate fantasy around his crimes, or he may have been lying about everything just to mislead investigators. The 3X killer was never identified, and the case remains unsolved. Like the 3X killer, the Zodiac sent handwritten letters and coded messages to newspapers, and both threatened to kill again if authorities did not comply with their demands. Both killers attacked couples sitting in parked cars at lovers' lane spots, and both used guns to shoot their victims. Unlike most killers who were given nicknames by police and the media, 3X and the Zodiac chose their own names. The Zodiac may have been inspired by the story of the 3X killer, the murder of Sherry Jo Bates, or other cases, and he may have imitated aspects of those crimes when planning his own attacks. The Zodiac may have been inspired by fictional criminals such as Count Zaroff in The Most Dangerous Game, Dr. Zodiac in Charlie Chan at Treasure Island, the killers in the story of Z, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Ironside, or even the comic book villains who challenged Red Mask and Batman. Letters attributed to the killer in 1974 indicated that the Zodiac was interested in popular culture, including the film Badlands, based on the true story of spree killer Charles Starkweather. One suspected Zodiac letter referred to the blockbuster horror film The Exorcist as a satirical comedy. Years later, Exorcist author William Peter Blatty wrote a sequel featuring a character inspired by the Zodiac known as the Gemini Killer. Other fictional villains were inspired by the Zodiac and three real-life copycat killers imitated the Zodiac in New York, North Carolina, and even Japan in a perpetual cycle of life imitating art and art imitating life. Zodiac A to Z Written and produced by Michael Butterfield. Zodiac voice by John Knight. Zodiac A to Z. Produced for ZodiacKillerFacts.com Zodiac Killer Facts.com